The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Hey guys, welcome to Scissoring Isn't a Thing. I'm Darren Carp. And I'm Liz Cully, and let me tell you, I've Uh-oh. been Uh-oh. planning for my three-person Thanksgiving all morning. Listen, there's nothing more intimidating than a woman starting a conversation with, let me tell you. Like, it Fair. can go any which way. Thank <laughs> God this went the holiday way. So, listen, I know we're recording this, and it's being released on Tuesday, so it's two days before Thanksgiving. I want to know what your Thanksgiving plans, but I, I wanted to ask you something because you grew up in Northern California, but you're in Southern California mm-hmm. now. So when in Northern California growing up, when it was Thanksgiving, it was cold, question mark? Not really. So it's funny that you ask that. It's actually typically beautiful, beautiful weather. It can be either really cold or really perfect. And I grew up sailing. That was a huge, my dad, that's like a huge part of his life and yeah. our life. So it was amazing because typically every Thanksgiving we would go for like a sail. Oh, awesome. That's so bougie. <laughs> and then eat. It's also, it's so bougie, but it's also the beginning of Dungeness crab season. So a big part of our meal wow. would be like crab claws for appetizers oh or the net or Why a lot of families. household for fuck's sake. I know. Or then on Friday, a lot of people in San Francisco will do crack crab and um, sourdough bread. The reason so you I just like gain a hundred pounds. The reason I ask is because like, you know, I was in LA recently about two mm-hmm. weeks ago and it's like, I was seeing Christmas ads and it was 85 degrees outside. And I was like, my Northeast brain cannot compute. Like, I just like, <laughs> I don't know what this is. And so when I flew back to New York and it got really cold here, like the past week, it's been like nice and brisk and chilly, which is how it normally is Thanksgiving this time of year. And Obviously, we're going to get into this, how Thanksgiving is completely different this year for everyone, or at least it should be completely different for everyone, most likely. But I'm still in that, like, quarantine aside, my, you know, like, different realm of 2020, I still have that, like, holiday spirit in me because it's getting cold. Like, COVID isn't ruining this. And I was just wondering if you have that this year because of the weather or, like, how it turns or you're kind of like, it's it's still 2020 and it still sucks. This is the first Thanksgiving I've ever spent in Los Angeles ever. Wow. I always, always go home. So you're not going home to your parents. No. Well, my parents live in Florida now, which I'm really cool off going to Uh, because I don't really particular and where they live in Florida, I have to like get on multiple planes and it's a whole thing. So yeah, this is the first ever Thanksgiving. Are you, are you cooking? I am cooking. Look, Look how prepared I am. Oh, my God. What? Are you normally a cook? Oh, you don't know? I've never been privy enough to be invited to dinner at your lovely abode with your wife to get fucking a meal. Obviously, Darren, you don't look at my Instagram, but that's okay. Um, Yes, I really, really psycho throw down. In fact, our producer, Sarni, has put in a pie order. So I had to factor her into the plans here. So she's coming to Thanksgiving dinner? No, no, I'm just making a pie for her for her to pick up to take to her Thanksgiving dinner. Is she paying you or you're just doing this no, for free? I'm doing it because I can love I her. Put it, like, can you ship it out and put on some dry ice for me? I like, know, what the fuck? I should. I know. No, so I really can cook very well. And then fun little you thing. You can call that ha- it Liz Culinary. Oh, oh, oh. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> yeah, no, this morning I went to the farmer's market in Hollywood very, very early. And my mushroom person oh. actually let me grab this card that 
kind of faked that I worked for her and I was able to come into the farmer's market without standing in the hour and a half line. Oh my God, dude. It's <laughs> so nice I was there at seven in the morning. Big places. Liz culinary. Anyway, my God. but there'll be, th- there'll be three of us for Thanksgiving, just Rachel and myself. And then our editor and producer Maureen, who we love so and much and we yes. adore, did not want her to be alone. And I know you're getting tested on Tuesday. I'm getting tested on Tuesday. Yep. So, well, I mean, yeah. I was going to get tested like earlier than that, but one, like, I didn't like there's no point in getting tested the week prior and then waiting and then seeing my parents because there's could have been multiple instances in that week of me being exposed like you know getting tested is such a snap is only a snapshot in time right and so it's like as opposed to like testing before you walk in like they do on production sets which obviously like that's not available wide range yet I know they came out with an at home kit but I don't think it's like widely implemented yet Um, I figured Tuesday was kind of like the last moment to get it and still get your results back before Thursday. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, me too. I yeah. got tested like a week or two ago, so I kind of did me the too. cadence. But sounds like, and I know you did. Yeah, exactly. Because you've been, you've been really good about, you've been tested probably more than anybody well, I know. Well, I travel <laughs> so much that it's like, and I've had to be part of work. And so I've gotten tested since COVID broke out in March. I've probably gotten tested like 12 times, which is pretty good considering yeah. for how often I've traveled. So- That's been kind of an important point. It's so weird, though, outside of weather, this is the first Thanksgiving, A, without my grandfather, which is really hard for me to comprehend. Thank. I mean, I know it it was bound to happen. Like, he was 94. You know what I mean? Like, I was aware that my last Thanksgiving, like, maybe in the past five years, it was every time. Because he was the carver of the turkey in our house. You know, that was his patriarchal role. And, you know, I remember always looking at him. And thinking like this could be kind of the last time. So like enjoy it. You know, I always took pictures of it. But it's also the first Thanksgiving where I'm not doing my full family. It's just me and my parents. My brother doesn't come home for Thanksgiving. So it's just us. And my mom, who's a fantastic cook, she's not making like the classic like turkey stuffing cranberry sauce. She's doing like steak and a miso glaze and this and that. And so it'll be delicious. I'm here for that. Right. I'm yeah. It'll that. be delicious. Just something different. So but happy Thanksgiving. To all of our listeners out there, we hope that you're staying as safe as possible because this holiday season's a little crazy. Just be mindful because hopefully we'll get out of this sooner rather than later. If we're safe now, we don't have to be sorry later, right? Couldn't have said it better, Dan. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better. Let's get to the cue. All right. So give me some of these like anecdotes. I know that you're so busy with everything that you're doing all the time. I had the <laughs> busiest week ever uh in terms of stuff but why don't you start it off i will let you um because you actually introduced me to something with with polls that i wasn't introduced to first so i want you to tell me about this break this news for us well this news is near and dear to my heart because i don't know if you know this darren but my oldest brother goes to either the north or the south pole every year and he has been for years wait like as a volunteer like he just like as a vacation No, he is not a volunteer. My brother is a very schmancy, fancy scientist. Wow. And so a huge part of his research is going to the North and the South Pole. That's so cool. Which many, many people do not get to do. First time my brother ever went to the South Pole, he totally lost his mind. It's very isolated down there. And so I sent this to him the other day and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Because there was the first ever pole pride. That people showed up to or like was a virtual event? 
It was virtual. It was inaugurated this past Wednesday, so almost a week ago when this is airing, by the governments of the British Antarctic Territory and then the South Georgia and the South Sandwich Islands. Wow. That's my favorite type of island, let me tell you. (laughs) They even made a special pin and a flag, and it features a penguin. Do you die? Um, Um, And a polar bear, because that uh, represents the Arctic and the North Pole, and it was commissioned. There was a Dr. Griffiths that said that the announcement feels like a huge step forward and a visible symbol of inclusion and support for all the LGBTQIA plus community working in BAS, SGSSI, and in international polar research. So my brother, can I read what my brother's response was? Absolutely, I thought, but put in more acronyms, please, because you saying LGBTQI plus plus BAS, SGSSI was a mouthful. <laughs> Okay, so I wrote this to my oldest brother, Alex, and I said, hey, yo, I'm going to do a special shout out on SIAT. There's another acronym for you (laughs) for Polar Pride. And I figured you'd love this because this is your world. I mean, how many not a lot of people are in. No, do this. Right. It's so small. It's such a small community. And he goes, I'm really excited about this very cool initiative that also highlights the lack of diversity in science in general. I'm glad that you're spreading the word. So really cool, really interesting. That's amazing. I'm thinking like how many people live on the South Pole, right? No, I don't think anybody lives there. I think it's research teams, right? Exactly. Well, I just meant that. Like how many like how many people are there at one time? Like they might be living there temporarily for like a month or something like. Yeah, it's anywhere between a month and like six months are your kind of like rounds or for, you know what I mean? I will say that from personal experience the first time my brother went I remember speaking to him I think two months into his stay yeah and he sounded really fucking loopy kind of talked fast and a lot of that has to do again with the weather and isolation and just the the sun just like it either being really like literally sunny the entire time or dark dark. the entire time yeah Yeah, it's kind of crazy so oh my god it's like a bermuda triangle type of thing where it's like where the fuck am i what's happening i might disappear but there are like, queers in the bermuda triangle apparently i guess i guess so <laughs> there's queers everywhere dude there's queers everywhere well i have some interesting updates for you to, uh, one a real quick one that i thought was just really cute that i just wanted to shout out i'm from montclair new jersey which i've talked about before and i guess lectured at montclair state university in this um I can't remember what the class is called. I think it was called like entertainment and crime, how like journalism basically meets true crime essentially as an entertainment factor, you know, which is perfect for me because it it crosses a lot of my interests and a lot of what I do. And they had me come guest lecture to the kids for like an hour and a half. I did a Zoom last week and it was nine kids. It was like an elective, you know, college class. It wasn't like an intro to psych or something, which was 900. So I, I got, it was intimate. And at the end, Like the students could ask me whatever we wanted. And I talked about like why true crime is mostly a female facing genre and how a lot of black trans women specifically, like those crimes don't get solved due to socioeconomic status, due to racism, due to a lot of different factors and how a lot of people can look at that community, like how sex workers used to be looked at. And there was a lot of murders that happened, especially in the 80s and the 70s, where people would kill sex workers because they didn't view them as human. You know, they were like, they're putting them in danger. So we're not going to solve these crimes because it's kind of like they're the discards of society, if you will. This is the perception, obviously not what I think. And a lot of trans black people, people of color are in that same category in terms of crime rates, in terms of being solved. And the professor came on 
when she was just describing the class to me and she was like, we had a project last week and each kid had to create a documentary on crime that they wish that they saw that they haven't seen yet. Like what's something that they want covered? And I couldn't see who this kid was because he didn't have, they didn't have, I don't know if he identified as him, but they did not have their camera on. So I couldn't tell anything and they didn't have an identifier, but they said that they wanted and created a documentary about black trans crime And I was talking to this kid and I said, I think you should create it. Like, there's not enough about that. We need more visibility. And so it wasn't, it's not necessarily newsworthy, but I just thought it was really nice that like the next generation is thinking of these things early on, you know, being 17, 18, 19, you know, however old college kids are. And I just thought like, wow, like in 10 years, this is going to be even better. This is just going to get better and better and better. And hopefully these more crimes will be solved. Just basically just talking to these nine students. And I thought it was really, really lovely. And they really wanted to provide a queer crime space, which I thought was really cool. That is the perfect cue update that ever was. I love that. Exactly. I thought you might like it. And then the only other like small little thing, because you know, I'm into reality TV. I interviewed one of the guys from this is 12 Dates of Christmas is coming out on HBO Max and it's literally Christmas overload, but like The Bachelor, except there's three main leads and they're trying to match them up with like suitable Bachelor, Bachelorette. So there's one black guy who I believe is straight. I don't know how he identifies, but I believe he's straight. One female who's definitely straight and then a gay guy. And the gay guy is so cute named Garrett and I got to interview Garrett and it was my first foray. Now we have like, are you the one? We've seen gay couples on TV. It's not like this is the first gay couple on TV, but it's rare to find a dating show like this. You know, like the only other one I can really think of was like Tila Tequila back in the fucking day, like 15 God. years ago, if you remember that, Liz. So yeah. Also, how dark has Tila Tequila become? Oh my God. She got into like, what is it like? Trump and Hitler or something like no, that. No, she's like, like a like, white supremacist, yeah, which like, doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Allegedly, she's a white supremacist, which is so fucking weird. Anyway. Anyway, this was really cool to see, and it taps into a little bit of queer culture in a mainstream platform on HBO Max in a dating culture that it's like not a big deal. And I just thought like, it's nice to shout it out. Garrett was very excited. And then you take like the winner, you're like, you're a match or whatever, home for the holidays. Oh, that's cute. So it's cute. Like, it's very Christmassy. I highly recommend checking it out. I believe that it's going to start airing on Thanksgiving. So in two days, I think it should premiere on HBO Max. So check it out. All right. So let's get to our next guest who is a friend of mine. And Liz, you had never met him before. It's Dave Quinn. He's that Real Housewives writer. Uh, Yes, he does. He did the Housewives beat at People forever. And that is how I met him. He's a journalist. He's a Brooklynite. He's a Broadway lover. And he's proudly LGBTQ+. Dave Quinn is an entertainment journalist and pop culture super fan. Over his 16-year career, he's made a name for himself covering reality television and theater with writing that has appeared in publications like People Magazine, Entertainment Weekly, and NBC New York. He lives in Brooklyn, New York with his boyfriend, Gus, and his really cute dog, Peanut. And I think Peanut should date Ravioli. And I think that we should set up a meet cute between them, Liz. Are you, I know you met Dave. Do you feel confident setting up Peanut with Ravioli now that you know Dave? confident. Okay. I would also just like to give you, Darren, a slow clap in booking this guest. Oh, thank you. You know, what I also want to say is this to the listeners. Follow me on Instagram. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Follow me and listen to Liz. I need to swipe up immediately. Okay. Here's the thing. Yes. I think that people have the misconception that for an 
interview or episode or even a show to be successful or to be worthy of attention, it needs to be this huge celebrity or influence. Right, right. I completely disagree with that. It is the story. It is the person. Darren, for weeks or long time, more than that, was like, I, I really want to get Dave on the show. You're going to love his story. You know, I've talked to him. He's going to be vulnerable. I don't want to scoop our interview by any means. So please continue to listen, you guys. But this was one of those scissoring isn't a thing episodes that really got to me that really stuck with me. I wanted to tell everybody about it afterward. I think all three of us got really vulnerable and actually thinking about it, Darren, how perfect is this episode for Thanksgiving week? I was thinking the same thing that it was just like a time for family or to be apart (laughs) from family. However, your Thanksgiving is going to go down and Dave's been a friend now for a few years. And, you know, again, not to scoop the interview, which is, it was one of those things where his story was probably not going to get told in some big public way because he doesn't talk about it too much. And so he was very willing to share as much details about it as possible. And like, our mouths were agape at a lot of it, Mm -hmm. especially this lightning portion, uh, which I can't get out of my mind. But Dave is a true friend and just a really good advocate for the LGBTQ plus community. And we were lucky to have him. So Dave, thank you so much for coming on. And listeners, please enjoy my friend and buddy, Dave Quinn. Hey guys, it's Darren Clark. Is that okay? And I'm Liz Cully. (laughs) That was your cue because I was going to be like, Oh, it's scissoring isn't a thing. But then I was like, no, I want Liz to say okay, it. Because you know, Liz, know. you probably just scissored. Like, knowing your face right now, you definitely just got off of Actually, the scissoring this sesh. is so cheesy. But you know what I just did, which is why my hair is a little wet. Also, welcome to Scissoring is a Thing. I'm Liz Cully. Yeah, welcome. I just yeah. did the Beyonce ride on Peloton. It's a huge deal for white people all over the world. Beyonce finally said she would put her music on Peloton. Just kidding. There's Isn't she the most requested block. artist on Peloton? Yes, isn't that yes, why? yes, yes. She like got paid nine hundred billion dollars or something. Hundred percent. And my favorite, favorite instructors, Tunde and Alex Toussaint, who are the best. They did a co-ride. I have really gone to the dark side of cheesiness, and I'm admitting it um, on air. But we have a very, very special guest who I know is a good friend of yours, Darren. I don't know if you want to give the lay of the land. Uh, he is a very good friend of mine. I'm not sure he's a Peloton instructor. Just to, just Damn to, it. I, I, he might be. It could happen. He does moonlight as other things. But today we have my really good friend, Dave Quinn, on the line. How you doing, Dave? Hi. I am not a Peloton instructor, nor do I have a Peloton, but I I can ride a bike. That's good, right? Sick. That's that, yeah, that's that, it. That, that counts as something. But let me, let me read a little bit about Dave for those who aren't familiar. You should absolutely get familiar. He's a very good friend of mine. He's oh. a real housewives writer. He's a journalist. He's a Brooklynite, most importantly, of course. A Broadway lover. Proudly LGBTQ+, which of course we're going to get into. But he's an entertainment journalist and pop culture super fan. Over a 16-year career, he's made a name for himself Ooh. covering reality television and theater with writing that has appeared in publications like, you know... People Magazine, Entertainment Weekly, NBC New York. If you don't know, now you know. He lives in (laughs) Brooklyn, New York with his boyfriend, Gus, and his dog, Peanut, which I love. (laughs) Welcome to the show, Dave. Thank you so much for having me. And you know, the New York Times uh, embedded one of my tweets. So now I can say that my writings <gasps> appeared in the New York Times too, right? Big time. Wait, 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 wait. what was the tweet? <laughs> was it was it a political tweet? It was a political tweet and everything. I was like, oh, she's a political journalist now. She knows everything. 
<laughs> um, she is. Um, we oh, love she to, is. She doing everything. <laughs> we love to start the show, if you don't mind, with asking you how you like to identify and also how we can identify you. Do you mind answering that for us? Sure, of course. I am gay and I am a he, him. Cisgender homosexual male, right, Dave? That's what we would say. That's me. That's the way to go. Also political <laughs> journalist. I actually yes. think that should now be political journalist. how you identify is he, him, gay, political journalist. Correct. All those things. Am- amen. <laughs> and, I, and just to give you guys a little background, I met Dave. Actually, I, so I work at People TV. I do, I do a show called Reality Check, which Dave has been a part of. But before I even started doing that, which I've been doing for about a year... I met you, Dave, probably in the backstage of Watch What Happens Live one night, right? <laughs> it could like, have been something like that. Yeah, I think so. You know, because you were there every night. He just covered, like, if you read a Housewife story in People magazine, the author was Dave Quinn. Like, there was no other author, author of him. How did you, like, when did you start writing Housewives? Like, what year was it? Since the beginning? Like, it was before I mean- me. It was, yeah, I I had been there for a really long time doing that. But even before that, I was always really covering Housewives right when the show started in like 2006 for smaller blogs and things like that. And then what happened is I started working at this tech startup that was owned by NBC and one of the partnerships that we- this is where my world starts. This is where to, Liz thrives. So I yeah. work at Bustle Digital Group. I worked at MySpace. Yes. I work, I'm like in that world. So tell me where where did you work if you don't so mind. So the name me. of the tech startup was Zbox at the time. Yes. And then they oh, renamed it Beanly. God, I remember that. Yes. And I was running editorial there and we was working with NBC. And one of the things that they needed help with was creating digital content for social. So I became for like three years, the gift maker at Bravo, where I would, I would make all the gifts for all the shows and then create like quizzes and all these other sorts of social currency that Bravo used. So I became close with like, and and Oxygen as well. So I became close with John Thasher and like all those sorts of folks. Who's my, also my podcast partner on Martinis and Murder, Liz, in case you didn't know. Oh, I know. Act like, Darren, we're in a relationship whether you like like it or not. I know. I didn't want to flex, you know. I didn't want to flex and say I'm cheating on you with multiple gay men. First of all, please believe that I'm in the Facebook group for Martinis and Murders. (laughs) (laughs) We love a cocktail. That's the one who's. She loves a cocktail, (laughs) Dave. She loves. She absolutely does. Okay, so that's kind of how you got. Yeah, go ahead. And then from there, I joined people, and at people at the time when I joined, I think it was like. 2015, 2016, they didn't have anybody who was really handling housewives at all. There was nobody who was on that beat. And just as somebody who was like aware of the inner workings, you know, had studied the shows, had a lot of useless knowledge in his head, I kind of jumped on it. I saw an opportunity that nobody else was taking. And at the time I was just freelancing for them, but I grabbed it and I became the housewives kind of the beat reporter there, the guru, if you will, and met a lot of the women. And what would happen, and the reason why Darren talks about Watch What Happens Live, is that I would do all these stories. I would take anything I could get because I thought that it was always interesting, always fun. And I would do all these stories about their haircuts they and their hairstyles, which is like, so <laughs> cool. it's like not something I'm even very interested in. But their, you know, stylist, the, the guy, Julius Michael, who does so many of their hairstyles. Oh, my God. Oh, right. Julius like, and Priscilla are and like Priscilla, the makeup, yeah. The hair and makeup team. And they would kind of uh, say, hey, listen, tonight we're going to have Tamara and we're going to cut her hair off. And do you want to come into the exclusive? And I would be there and asking her questions about her haircut. And it would be the top rated story on people the next day because we would have, you know, that first look at that 
new hair change and people just love silly things like that hair changes and style makeovers who do you think has had the best fat and i know we're gonna we, so many but i just have to get it out <laughs> oh my god i know we have to like we have to jump get into in, his history but actually just ask it who do you think i think it has to be an og but mm -hmm. who do you think has had the most significant glow up because i'm really invest there have been some significant glow ups this summer and y'all know exactly what i'm talking about but who do you think Dave has a head. Like over the course of their tenure. Time, yes. Of from their season time. one to season now, or like their first season to now, who would you be like, holy shit about? Well, I definitely think if you look at season one, Nini, and season yes. whatever, Nini, she's like a different person. Yeah. She looks much Fabulous. different than she did then. I think she's had great work done. I think that Tamara is still stunning. She was stunning when she started in season three, but she's had such good work, really smart work done in that lower facelift looks unreal on her. I think Ramona still looks amazing. Well, she uh, looks her, even better now. Who She had a little she looks even snippy snippy that tweet. this summer, yeah. and that was a good glow up. I mean, well, Sonia's facelift is Sonia's facelift is the best facelift I've ever seen. Sonia's facelift's good. Yeah, it's drastic in a good way. As is Dolores. I was going to say Vicky Gundelson, which I have to, and I, I can either tell it now because I was actually DMing with Best of Bravo last night and I remembered my one Dawn story that I have, which is so insane from my second day in Los Angeles, if you can believe it. But I thought you were going to say Vicky because Vicky looks night and day and even the haircut. I just think she's really evolved into quite a fresh look. Well, you have to, you have to be specific when you talk about Vicky because there were some seasons there that the work was not settled. And it just Fair. wasn't really working, right? She had gotten a facelift, I think, like three weeks before filming at one point. And uh, it just, it was a tough season for her. But when you look at Vicky, like season 12, season 13, I think that's the best that she Jeff's kiss. really just. Okay, so your final answer is Nini, though. You think <laughs> Nini's had the biggest glow up. That was what my answer was going to be. So I do feel like that's the right answer. Yeah, yeah I, I feel like if you looked at those if two pictures of those people and you said they were the same person, you wouldn't <laughs> those <believe> people. <laughs> we have so many housewife things that we need to discuss in like news. But first, I want to get into your background yeah. because, sure. you know, obviously you're on a podcast called Scissoring Isn't a Thing. And like what we like to do is and I know that you've listened to it, but I really do feel like coming out stories and people being not heterosexual in whatever way that we define it is like this sometimes can be this really monumental thing in, in people's lives. And sometimes it's not at all. And like Liz and I have completely different stories, but you, when, when you and I first like really started talking, we would have lunch every day. Liz, just so you know, like we were on the couch, like literally hosting reality check with, I don't even remember what housewives together, right? Like we were just sitting there and, and we were talking about my relationship and his relationship with Gus. And I was like, Oh, blah, 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 blah. And he mentioned his coming out story to me. And he mentioned talking about his parents. And so I was so moved by this story that I like haven't been able to let it go in my mind because it was just, it's just, it was impactful to me, Dave. And so I really felt like it was important for the listeners to hear your side of this. So how old are you right now? Just so we can get a little background. You're I'm, late thirties, right? I'm 38 years old. Yeah. 38 years young. Cause I was going to clock you at like a nice 27 and a half going oh into your gosh. Saturn return. Liz, I'm so grateful. And how long have you been with Gus for? Years, uh, right? We're together two years now. Yeah. Okay. And so where did you grow up? I mean, I, I'm like trying to think about the best way to like start. I know this. you're so really pacing you that you're really pacing yeah. this out, Darren. I like I mean, it. Well, it's an important thing. Yeah. So I can, I can jump in. I can kind of do it. 
you talked about the idea that some people are really impacted by it and some people aren't. And I think my coming out story and my gayness is what actually drove my entire life. Because when I was young, I, like many gay people, felt that there was something very different about me. And I really pinpointed all back to these moments where I was in school, kindergarten, I grew up in New York, kindergarten, uh, first grade, and I remember the kids calling me gay. And this was because, you know, I was a little bit effeminate, a little bit quiet, whatever it may be. And, you know, certainly not athletic, though, damn, I tried. I mean, I played every sport I could try to play, but like the hustle wasn't there. You can ride a bike. I can ride a bike, but I can't cradle a lacrosse stick. I can't throw I was a literally just going to say Dave Quinn playing lacrosse actually makes me laugh knowing who you are, but in the it's best hilarious. way. <laughs> yes. It's hilarious. So I wasn't really in that moment. And I, I remember coming home and saying to my parents, you know, the kids at school called me gay. And I didn't really know what that meant, but the look of fear that I saw in their eyes is still something that I can close my eyes and, and completely see right like it happened yesterday. And the response that they gave me, not just that day, but every day for years was whatever you were doing to make them think that you need to stop doing it. And it was a course correction of my life. It was a constant focus on watch your hands when I would you know, uh, flap my, my hand down. They would, my mom would slap my hand wow. and tell me to stop doing that. It was, you know, two people who didn't really understand were very afraid of it at the time, you know, in the eighties and nineties, the only gay people in the world were really that anyone saw were those dying of AIDS. And I think right. that they just were terrified and did not know, did not want to have a gay son and did not want me to uh, at all walk down that path. So their reaction and response to it was fear. And my response to it was also fear. So I became terrified of being gay, of anyone thinking that I was gay. And when, you, when someone tells you to stop being the way that you are, that you inherently are, that you don't know, you know what's different about you, you very much close up. And that's what I did. I didn't speak to anybody. I didn't really have any friends. School was terrible for me. I was tormented throughout all of my school. And I can tell you, this motherfucker, Joey Zito, wherever the fuck you are, Joey <laughs> Zito, excuse my language, Fuck you. Fuck you, Joey Zito. Fuck you. Dave, I don't know. I don't know how many of these you've listened to, but Darren will tell you, I yeah. scream out government names of kids <laughs> that tormented yeah. me. And I actually have found out they have listened to a few of them. You fucking, <laughs> Good. fucking hate you. Joey Zito, piece of shit. He came to my birthday party that my mother made me invite everybody to. I think it was like when I was seven or eight and he pants me. He pulled my pants down <gasps> in front of everyone. Can you imagine? Fuck you, Joey. Tormenting. Fuck you, Joey Zito. I hope you sit and spin. Anyway. And uh, let me let me just jump in real quick. Do you, what, did you grow up, just because this is the natural inclination for me, did you yeah. grow up religious or did you just grow up in a, in a time where like being gay was associated with AIDS and it was very scary? I think it was that. Religion was not really part of it. It's very interesting. My, my parents, my mother is one of many children. I think she has like seven brothers and sisters. And she wow. grew up in poverty and in Brooklyn. And I think that they were very concerned about appearance. You know, her mother wasn't as tidy and she was always pretty much focused on getting a better life for herself. When she started dating my father, he was somebody who had been working on the New York Stock Exchange, been making money. And she saw that as an opportunity to kind of elevate her status. And everything about my mother has always been about appearance and look, the size of your house, the size of whatever it may be. And here she was trying to live this cookie cutter perfect life in the New York Long Island suburbs at this time and was terrified of the fact that her son 
could taint her social right. view. She didn't understand, you know, so it's less about Jesus and God because, you know, we were always Sunday Catholics, but like get out right after communion. I don't know if you know what that means. Like you uh, take the communion yeah, and then you run out the door. That's how I grew up, Dave. <laughs> yeah. My mom was Body like, Christ, bye. Yeah, my yeah. mom was like, eat your wafer cracker. Let's get in the Volvo. Like we're yeah, out of here. Volvo, for sure. It's like, you don't want to uh, sit in traffic and it's impossible to get out of that parking lot. So yeah, it was, never, it was never really about God, but here's an interesting thing that happened. So I spent the majority of my elementary school and my middle school life in the same school district feeling really isolated. And I spent all of that time away from people. I would not speak to anybody at school, really. I would kind of do my work. I was failing multiple courses and I would, I would come home and I would watch TV. I would turn on the Rosie O'Donnell show. I would watch which I was obsessed with. Legend. Yes. Yeah. Also, it's like, gay, clearly. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> I was obsessed with Broadway. I was upset. And, and pop culture became an escape for me. It became the thing that was something that took me out of the torment of my personal life and brought me joy and solace. Now, I'm the youngest of three kids and my brother and sister are eight and six years older than me. So they're you know, they were kind of living their own lives. I was a, an only and child. They're gay, right? And they're not gay, right? And they're not gay. They're not. Okay. Straight. And uh, so I was really by myself. And in all that time, I cultivated this amazing knowledge of pop culture. I watched soap operas. I watched talk shows. I watched, you know, cartoons. I watched whatever it was. And I was really creative and excited about that world. Celebrity. I followed celebrity. I would go see Broadway shows all the time. And when I got to high school, I went to a different high school. I went to a Catholic high school. I all of a sudden became somebody who was just like very popular because I had this arsenal of pop culture references and, and a sense of humor that I had built up watching those things. And I walked into a school district where nobody knew this dirty secret that I had been tormented my whole life about up, that, up until that point, which was that I was gay. So I was able to kind of really reinvent myself. And that went along with religion. Right, because religion, I was learning about it for the first time. So in my mind, I actually became incredibly religious when I was in high school. I was really tied to religion. I thought that that gave me a sense of family and love and acceptance that I wasn't getting at home, and it was like that I hadn't gotten before. So so weird, right? And all this. No, I I identify with you. Actually, I had an interesting. I was really bullied and tormented at public school. And I ended up getting a theater scholarship to Common of the Sacred Heart, which there's one in New York where Paris and Leah went. Um, <laughs> and I learned about religion. You know, I don't, did they make you watch like Veggie Tales? Or no, they probably didn't because you were no. older, but you know what I'm talking about. Like they yeah, made, no. you know, you went to like Catholic, I don't know. I found a lot of quiet and introspective. I don't know. I, I happened to really enjoy that part of school which was interesting I was a little bit younger than you I was like sixth seventh eighth grade but I don't know I don't think that sounds weird because I think you were probably were able to like find something exactly like you said that you weren't finding at home yeah it's really interesting high school is an opportunity for a lot of people to discover themselves sexually dating any of those sorts of things I was like a decade behind like I I did not do any of that I mean I had girlfriends quote unquote that I kissed but it was like I remember thinking to myself once, like, I don't understand why guys get so bent out of shape about sex. Like, it's not hard to just be respectful of a woman. Yeah. Okay. You're not yeah, attracted to them. Because you don't want to have sex with them. Right. right yeah. It's like, <laughs> but I didn't understand. But, like, I thought attraction meant like 
you both of you women, I could say you're both really beautiful. You're both really funny. You're both really smart. I must be attracted to you. And I was more learning what it meant to have friends and to finally be connected to other people, which I never was before. So sex never came into, it wasn't like I knew I was gay and I was pretending I wasn't. It was not even in my brain in high school. Wait, I was going to say like at this point when you're sort of rediscovering who you are, you're rumspringa, if you will, in high school, (laughs) maybe, you know, for lack of a better term and becoming more devout in a religion was it catholicism or what was the religion it was catholic yeah and it was it was more just like i became devout in the practice there's a lot of the routine of it the always knowing those prayers always knowing the community of it really appealed to me but i don't think i explored beyond the teachings of jesus which are you know love one another respect one another, treat people like you want to be treated. Yeah, those sorts of things that were very powerful, but I didn't necessarily have that, like, I saw a lot of the division of Catholicism and I was kind of rejecting all of that. I wasn't thinking about how they drew the line in when gay came to factor. It's like, wasn't a thought. Are you no longer religious now at 38 year old Dave? Are you- 38 year old Dave is not, yeah. And it's weird. I look back at the time because what happened is I went to college and I really started to think for myself. College was the first time I think anyone said to me like, but what do you think about that? You know, high school for me was always like repeating what they wanted me to think, you know, Uh, the blinking green light in the great Gatsby is a sign of, you know, like whatever you told me it was going to be. And well, and I'm also wondering like, if you look back at that time and this is just me Maybe just because I came off a therapy session, so I'm kind of in this mood, but like- I love it. Do you think that you kind of diving into this like religion side, maybe not the whole thing, but just even like the basic of it was sort of a form of controlling something that maybe you felt like you couldn't control anything else in your outside world and this you could control? A hundred percent, Darren. You're completely right about that. It was something that I could really learn and control and I was accepted by. So it was, I was in the driver's seat in this whole entire thing, right? It was like, I was driving someplace that everybody wanted me to be there. And I felt really happy and safe in that environment. And when I finally got away, I went to school in Rhode Island. I went to Providence College in Rhode Island. And when I finally got away from my home life, and I started to understand who I was, I realized that that was in such direct opposition of what I had been raised as and who my parents desperately wanted me to be, that it became really hard for me to understand how to talk to them about that. Because I knew what their reaction would be because I had an entire lifetime of them saying, you were not this. And in high schools, when they only started, I feel like my parents only really liked me in high school because finally I was like, religious and happy. And they, you know, they saw that as like, oh, good, he's on a good path. So I did that thing that a lot of gay people do where I didn't really come out to my parents. I kind of just pushed them away Mm -hmm. where I was like, all right, well, they don't really need to know. When I figured it out, which I, I really had this very emotional experience. I was dating a girl at the time and I went to a lecture that Matthew Shepard's mother was giving. talk about you know the death of her son and his coming out and everything and I remember sitting there hearing her talk about him and realizing like holy shit this is so deep inside me and I've never really explored it so I left the lecture and I broke up with my girlfriends literally that day and I said to her you know I think there's something inside me that I haven't been exploring and I don't know what it is and I don't want to put you through you know something terrible where you feel 
like I'm leading you on, you know, you don't have to support me in this. And, and she was lovely and wonderful. And we remained semi-friendly, I think, as friendly as you can be when you're, you know, dumped by somebody who now decides that he doesn't like women. And when I finally came out to my parents, I guess it was like months later, they kind of attacked me about it. They were kind of like, we're like, something's going on and you're not telling us. Like they could tell um, that I had stopped calling them, that I had stopped being a presence in their life. And I told them I, I was home for Christmas and which was rare. I think it was the last time I went home for Christmas, to be honest. And uh, I told them right as I was like getting ready to leave to go back to Rhode Island. And uh, my mother had a complete meltdown. My father asked me point blank, do you have AIDS? That was his first question. You said, mom, dad, I'm gay. Like that was yeah. how the conversation went. You were just like, this is why I haven't been fucking calling. Correct. I'm gay. Yeah. Got it. And it was, okay. it was a scene out of a movie in the sense that like there was screaming and yeah. crying and yelling and you know, my father saying to me, you're confused. And I kept saying, I'm not confused. I know damn well how I feel. I think you're confused. And, you know, uh, the infamous statement that my mother, I, that, you know, I remember very deeply of her saying to me, if I knew you were gay, I would have had an abortion, which was something that like, uh, I, you know, I know How now. How could you ever forget that? Yeah. But I know now all these years later comes out of, you know, her own insecurity and own fear. But at the time I was really angry about that and really hurt by that. I've now mentally kind of forgiven her for it because that's the only thing she knew how to do. But yeah, I mean, I kept saying to them, they kept saying, your life is going to be so hard. Your life is going to be so hard. And I just kept saying to them, well, the only people who I care about who care about me are you guys. Like you're the only ones I care about. And by that point, I had already come out to my brother. It was really funny. My brother is the oldest. He's eight years older than me. And I didn't really have a relationship with him at all because he moved out of the house when he was really young and he was going through all sorts of shit in his life. And I thought, I'll go out, I'll come out to him first because I don't really, I'm not really close with him. Right. So if he rejects me- It's a trial run. Right. It's a, a it, let's see. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And he ended up completely embracing me and like- he is my best friend. I talk to him every day. Like we are incredibly close, but my sister and my parents who I was close with at that time, you know, through high school and that religion and all that stuff were the ones who rejected me. And to this day, I don't have any relationship with them. I don't speak to them at all. Not your sister either. No, I'm really sorry. I, meanwhile, I'm like crying over here. Thanks, guys. It's 11 in the morning. I saw you wipe away a tear. And I, I was did. like, I knew well, Dave's I story like a, was going to get I knew you. Darren warned me. I mean, I my mom said <laughs> yeah. some shit to me that like, and I've said it on this show. I've, I've forgiven her, but I, you just cannot forget that stuff. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just such well, a bummer. You know I mean? And because- how did you like, I don't think you're meant to forget that stuff, right? Like, I don't think mm. that any gay person like, I can be the happiest person I am now in the best relationship and fucking out as all hell. And like, I still think about the time that my ex's mom called me a faggot and said she was going to blow my fucking head off with a shotgun. Like, and that was a four month relationship of someone yeah. I'd never met. So to have your parents and your sister feel like that, you know, do you remember the last conversation you had with them? And like, yeah. you know, it's like, it was not as cut and dry as I'm probably making it out to seem because there were times throughout the years that we would make attempts to mend fences as one often does in life. Right. right? So say like, okay, this is, you know, we're, we want to come around. And the last time I think was probably about eight years ago, seven years ago, 
and we all sat together and had a family meeting. And it was my parents and my sister and my brother and I. No in-laws because my both my brother and my sister had married by that point. Good, and because those children. in-laws are always such a pain in the ass. Sorry. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry. I'm okay. Family meeting. No, yeah. no, no, it's okay. And it's and I um I recorded it on my on my cell phone because I was in therapy at the time. And one of the things that my therapist told me was like it may be beneficial for you to listen to it later because you're such, you know, you're a writer, you're an editor, you're an analytical person, and you may be able to hear things that you don't necessarily hear when you're in that moment. So I've listened to this a lot (laughs) because I was terrified of going in there. My mentality going into that meeting was like, I am going to not try to fight anybody else's battles. That was something I did a lot. Like I got really upset on behalf of my brother of things that he was going through with my parents, you know, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wasn't going to fight anyone else's battles and I wasn't going to go in the past. I was just going to try to find a way forward. And it's literally, you know, a, an hour and a half audio recording of me saying like over and over again, let's just move forward. I'm sorry for what happened. Let's try to find peace. And them saying no. And unfortunately, just that's just the way it is. is that? I mean, I remember when you first kind of told me the bullet points of the story. Again, we were on yeah. set, like about to interview, <laughs> like Dolores. So he's like, and I haven't talked to my parents in 20 years. Hey, Dolores. And I was like, <laughs> what the fuck? I was like, I was, I was like, uh, just absurd about it. Because to me, that was so impactful for so many people. And like, for me growing up in a very simple, like in the same place, like, you know, yeah. we often talk about how like, my ex was from Alabama. So I always like secretly hate on Alabama and the South and like religion and stuff. But you grew up in fucking New York, in New York and like Long Island where like these things aren't supposed to happen. And I know that you're, you know, six years older than me, but like clearly it still is around. And and still today that you haven't talked to your parents and they're just kind of like, no, is a fucking tragedy. And yet when I talk to you, you just have this like light about you. And the fact that you've been able to have it despite all the fucking darkness was just a testament, I think, to how far the gay community has come uh, in the yeah. past couple decades and the support system around you. And just the fact that like you literally work in maybe the gayest place. Like, you <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like bravo people. Like these are like <laughs> LGBTQ places that it's like being gay really isn't a problem. Or at least, at least for me, it hasn't been a problem at all. I, I don't want to speak for you, but like, no, you almost completely made lemonade out of this really shitty bowl of lemons. And I think most people would not be able to be themselves after what you experienced. And if you could look back at your younger self, would you have changed anything about what you did or your thought process or anything like for someone who's going out there right now with what you're going through what advice would you give so first of all let me just say thank you for what you just said to me i have a hard time seeing that sometimes and i appreciate it and when you talk about the lightness it's radiating (laughs) through zoom let me tell you yes (laughs) (laughs) no i i think what it is is that i finally hit a point where i learned that it wasn't my fault and i forgave myself for it and you know i see a lot of people and often people will say to me like oh i'm so sorry that that happened to you or i'm so sorry that you don't talk to your parents And I realized that they are looking at this situation through a lens of their own relationships with their parents. And sometimes that, you know, is a stronger relationship than I had, but I have to look back and realize that I never really had that. My mother told me once, I don't believe in unconditional love. It's a bunch of bullshit. You know, just because you're my child means I need to love you. 
and it really was that it is that mentality. And, and I grew up in that household where it wasn't loving. It wasn't supportive. It was torturous. It was terrifying. It was really, really damaging. So to be separated from that now, I do feel much lighter because I feel like I've made the choice to walk away. And sure, I could be right now trying to pursue peace again. And I'm sure if I, you know, played the, the card of the happy, polite, you know, always there for you kind of guy, they would welcome me back into the world no matter what. But I want to live my life on my terms. And that means having a little bit of that separation. You know, recently there was a big tragedy in our family. My sister-in-law's husband passed away. It was terrible. He so got sorry. He actually got struck by lightning and died, which is like horrible what? during the pandemic. I know so it's crazy. That that I am that's sorry a, for. A, that is a, really oh unique. God, that's horrible. And horrible. I know. And I remember saying to myself, like, this is, you know, and I had people in my life saying, this is the time to kind of just life doesn't matter and come back. And I still kind of get sent back into that set of like, I can be there for you guys. I can offer you my support. I sent the flowers. I made the phone call. But the truth is like, I'm still keeping that barrier up for myself. I've forgiven them for who they are, but I don't want to go backwards. So I think if to get to actually your question, if I was going to give myself any advice, I spent a lot of time in my head really feeling like I had done something wrong. And I would have told that person way back when to just love you for who you are, because it it took me years. And then of course, there's all these other things in the gay community, right? Because it's not like you're like, I'm gay. And everyone's like, congratulations, you're here. You know, it's like, it's like I'm gay. And then gay guys are like, okay, but do you have abs? Okay, but are your, (laughs) you know, like, so it became this extra level. Especially in New York City. Especially in New York York. City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then I, you know, then my heart was like very much like, I want a relationship. And I went through 15 years of being single, trying to find somebody because I was for a long time, so desperate for that person to fill this family void, you know, to give me this love that I didn't have in my life. And the thing is, is I never gave it to myself. So it was really only, I mean, we've been together two years, Gus. So I guess it would be about five years ago that I started on this journey of like letting go, accepting myself for who I am, giving me that self-love. And it was really only when I was at that stage where I was very confident with who I was that I met who I consider to be the love of my life. Thank you for sharing your story. And it, yeah. I love how you said, you know, some people's reactions when I tell them my story is that they're sorry. And it's perhaps they're mirroring or reflecting their relationship with their own parents, which is what I said to you, right? I said, oh my yeah. God, I'm so sorry. And it's so interesting because I really fucking hope my parents don't, they don't even understand the internet, so they're not listening. But I said to my therapist yesterday, I said, I'm feeling really guilty because everyone in COVID is talking about how much they miss their parents. And I don't, like, I don't. And I, and I go, they have put me through so much fucking thankless shit. I'm also the youngest of many kids. They, you know, and you just think about it. And I think sometimes we feel this obligation to our families or to our siblings or to whoever we call our family unit. And if it's not reciprocated or if it's not safe or it's, you know what I mean? And then of course we can get into codependent relationship issues (laughs) another time. But it it is interesting to hear you kind of phrase it this way. And I thank you for sharing that because I'm like, wow, you're right. Like that's how I'm feeling right now is I'm feeling lighter. I don't feel this obligation to pack up my life and go home and have a actual miserable and just abusive Christmas holiday 
which is what I always have. I always come home and I'm like, oh my God, like having a mental breakdown. So it is interesting to kind of think about it or rather rephrase this moment for you and say, you know what? I like did what I did. I wanted to move forward. I, ex- I did the flower, you know, everything you kind of just said. I sent the flower, sent the note, you know, put my end of the bargain um, on the table rather executed on it. And if they're not going to come to the same table, then I've got to move on. And, you know, it's just really, thank you so much. I mean, my God. Well, And both of you, like, I'm just thinking about it. And like, I'm lucky enough that my parents are cool. Like they're just cool, hippie fucking people. And I recognize that like just in the relationships I've been in, like, you know, if I'm on the, if I'm walking with my girlfriend, Nadine, I'm like, you know, mom and dad say hi. Like, and it's a privilege, right? Like not a lot of people do that. But as I grew up and I'm in my thirties, we're all in our thirties, like, and Dave, I don't know if if you feel this way, so don't let me put words in your mouth, but it's almost sure. like you recognized as disappointing as it was that our parents are human beings and they're flawed and everyone has their own flaws and limitations of what they can and can't get over and this and that. And I think sometimes when you frame your parents in this way of like, maybe they're not the mom and dad that I always wanted or always hoped to be, or not what you see in, 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 you know, the soap operas of the world. It helps you quantify them in a way that you're able to live with it when you recognize that they are flawed people too. It doesn't make it okay, but it helps you to be okay. Yes, that's big. And the other thing that's big that goes along with that is I stopped for a long time. I was like, I hope they're fucking miserable. I hope they're sitting at home being like, what did you do? You left your son, blah, blah, blah. But I've like let all that go too. I'm like, you know what? I hope that they have a great Christmas. I hope that they have a nice Thanksgiving. I hope that they're living happy lives. And it's okay that it's not with me for both of us. It's okay. Like, I don't want them to feel shame about it because that's who they were. But again, I still want to keep and protect myself that way. And you talk about, you know, I don't have parents, but I have so many moms and dads in my life. All of my close friends, I call their parents mom. Yeah. Even my boyfriend's parents who equally, you know, struggled with certainly his gayness in the beginning have have been lovely and wonderful and kind to me. Yeah. Some of them come around. I mean, if you asked my mom and dad, they do. I mean, yeah, like I got married last year. They were there. My mom, you know, told me my flowers were ugly and hated my dress. <laughs> It was all, it was, <laughs> it was all fine. I'm laughing I, with you, Liz. We're no, laughing I know. With you. Yeah, yeah. Don't, we don't want to talk about the dress. It's, it's a dark road. Since you are so in, for lack of a better term, perhaps the real housewife historian at this point, there have been some homophobic comments made by some housewives. How do you feel when you see that or and then if you have to interview them or interact, does that change, you know, kind of your perception of them? Have you have you confronted any of them for the things they've said? Yeah, I've definitely confronted some of them about the things that they've said. You know, I think the reason why I have such a good relationship and have been successful with the housewives is that I've really always approached them with empathy, compassion and and a bit of a conscious. I understand how difficult it could be to be in the reality TV limelight because there's a certain level of celebrity when you're very rich, you're the Jennifer Anderson's, the Brad Pitt's of the world, uh, where you're, you know, you're not really paying attention to any of this stuff that's happening on social media. You're kind of just right. living your lives. You're protected enough. You're in Montecito, by... nothing Correct. matters. Right, yes. exactly. You, you happy. <laughs> yeah, you on your right. yacht. Yeah. But when you're in somebody's living room once a week all the time and people are seeing 
quote unquote reality, what they perceive to be complete reality, there's a familiarity. There's like a, a connection that people feel with them where they think they can say whatever they want. And I don't think that anybody who goes on those shows and puts their lives out there like that deserves, you know, that level of scrutiny all the time. I think it's incredibly brave of them to do that. I think if you followed me around, I would be so boring. If you threw a glass of wine in my face, I would tell you, I'm sorry. I don't know what I did. Please don't do that. You know, like I wouldn't, I, You're so like, they live out loud. And, I can, do you need a napkin? Right. So I recognize that they're kind of people and I understand that it's hard to navigate this world of like filming a show, having an edited version of that, not saying that that's incorrect of who they are, because oftentimes it's not, but still an edited version of that air and have to then listen to people nonstop making judgments on who you are and harsh, horrible judgments on who you are sometimes. So I've always kind of approached them with compassion. Now, when they do things, and I've had really, really, really frank conversations with people about this, a lot of times I think that they understand that was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. But they get so trapped in that world of on Housewives, you have to defend every single thing that you're saying all the time, mm -hmm. you know, and you're right. And you have to be right that sometimes it's hard for them to see past it. And guess what? They're humans. They make mistakes just right. like anyone else. But what I love about the show is that this is a, this is a series that celebrates women of a certain age, quote unquote, when Hollywood would normally throw them away. You have women in their 60s, 50s, 40s, thriving, living lives out loud. And I'm, I'm very respectful and I'm very like in awe of the fact that they're brave enough to do that in a way. And we all think like, well, they get paid for it. They don't get paid that much for it considering what they have to go through. They yeah. film for four months, then they relive it all the time. Sometimes a year later, right? Yeah. Like, no, and it's just, it's hard. It's interesting because we have had, I'm thinking of two things specifically just in this mm -hmm. past year, right? We have on the one hand with Potomac last season with Michael Darby, and there was a lot of like, Conflict with him, cheating, doing kind of shady stuff, while also sort of subtly having this gay storyline for him. But the thing about Potomac, right, with this storyline was like, they really said flat out, they were like, we don't give a shit if he's gay. We just want to make sure Ashley's happy. Like the gay thing was like this secondary storyline, whereas I think in most housewives, in most reality shows, that was going to be like, is he gay or not? And the Potomac women didn't really give a shit if he was gay or not, which I loved. And I thought that was a show of progress. Yeah. On the flip side, Beverly Hills this last season had a major gay-ish storyline with two women that obviously I was thriving on. And it never really got solved, but it made it seem like the most important thing was like, well, is, you know, Denise Richards a lesbian? Is Brandy Glanville doing this? I mean, this is going to lead up to Liz's news story that she we have to get to. But like, here are two different places in the world, two different races, two different cultures, two different whatever, kind of handling a similar vibe almost completely differently. And as sort of this guru who's you know who's involved but also not necessarily under the bravo umbrella like yeah how do you view that is there a right way to handle these issues of sexuality because like you know in the gay community you're not supposed to out other people like that's taboo you don't do that like even if we talk amongst ourselves right and be like oh my god she's totally gay right yeah, like yeah. i would never do that in a public forum and so for these women to kind of do it in this massive public forum like is there a good way to navigate it from your point? No, I mean, uh, this is a conversation I've had with a lot of the women behind the scenes loudly, where I've told them, you have to stop weaponizing gay. 
You have to stop right. weaponizing calling somebody gay mm. or questioning whether they're gay because it's damaging to other people who are gay. And a lot of the times these women use the gay community for their come up. You right. Know, they the gay right. community is the ones who are who are pushing them forward to success and they'll turn their backs on them in that moment, not realizing that that's what they're doing. Right. They're like, well, I have a gay hairstylist and I, I you know, I like gay right. people. And it's like, yeah, but then you said something that was really shitty about Bronwyn and you were questioning whether she was a lesbian. Like, stop that. How about being open to bisexuality and recognizing that that's something that like is a journey and exists and matters in this world? Certainly Liz knows that, <laughs> right? Like we ignore some things like this. And, and Biracial, it's a thing, everyone. It yes. is. But to go back to just quickly to, to Denise, I, I think that Denise situation, you know, they tried to say it. I, they just did not verbalize that correctly. They tried to say like, yes. we don't care whether you are actually with a girl or not. Their issue from my perspective, from what I understand- was, yeah, it was the fact that they felt like they were being very transparent on a show. They had never been on a show before with somebody who was like, bravo, bravo, fucking bravo. We're not talking about this. Yeah. Also, they were at the most disgust. Can I just say on the record, because we haven't talked yeah. about this, the restaurant that they were eating at in Hollywood <laughs> it was so disgusting. There is no way. That's a real tragedy here, I'm by the sorry. way. I'm <laughs> sorry. The Sophie, I was like watching it and dying. I'm like, there is no fucking way that they chose that restaurant to eat at because I've eaten at that <laughs> restaurant and it is horrible <laughs> and it is in weird Hollywood, which they do not go to Hollywood. I would put $100 down. Anyway, continue. It was so strange, but. No, that's, <laughs> I never knew that and that's actually helped a lot. So I'm glad that you told me that. It, it Very provides important. a full picture. Yes. No, but I mean, I think it was just a, a huge mistake mistake to go down that path. They couldn't verbalize the fact that they felt that as a friend, she was hiding who she really was and wasn't really giving them the truth. And it came off terribly for them. And the, I, I'm not necessarily somebody who believed Denise. I don't think that she was telling the truth either, but I still could think that in that moment, it felt like she was mistreated. And this idea though, I also push back against this idea about gang up because I feel like welcome to the show. Like that's yeah, what this is. Right. It's all about expressing your opinion. And if two people or three people have the same opinion, that doesn't mean they're like conspiring behind the scenes against you. It would be well, like saying is... there's widespread election fraud just because you lost. You know what I mean? Like it's like that totally. level of crazy in my mind. <laughs> same, well, it's same, also just different. interesting because like just, just housewife specific, like, you know, you do have to be vulnerable, right? Like I think it's, I think it's weird when we don't get to see husbands or this and that, you know, Kenya wouldn't show, you know, her husband for a while. And then there was Gina. And so, but it's interesting because this last season of Beverly Hills, like everyone was all about this Denise Brandy stuff. And then, you know, Erica Jean comes out with the fact that she's getting a divorce from Tom. And it's a little bit like, that's never been discussed on this show before. And like, is it okay to kind of be focused so much on this gay storyline, but not even admit when you're having troubles at home? Like there's just seems this like inauthenticity there. And like, I don't know really how to like solve it. And for you, when you get to open up and talk to these housewives, do you feel like to some extent that there's an advantage of you being a gay man? Like you play that, like there is that like trust, you know, cause sometimes I do feel like the reason, even though Andy always says like the first three things he is, isn't a gay man. I do think that him being gay is an advantage for these women to open up to him. Do you find that to yeah. be the case? Well, I think it's an advantage only because I am somebody who's gone through 
strife, as you guys have all heard in my own life. And that's where my gayness comes into advantage, not because of the fact that, you know, I'm non-sexually, not sexually interested in you or not sexually threatening in some capacity. But I think it's more of the fact that like, I am somebody who's experienced hardships and I've overcome them. And I'm coming at you with that level of understanding and compassion. Yeah. I think that's why they connect to me in that sense. But I also feel it's because I because I'm a journalist and because I always try to come at it without thinking the worst, like you just mentioned, Erica, my instinct with Erica is maybe there wasn't problems in her marriage last year that she was even aware of. And then all of a sudden you're isolated with somebody for eight months and that let's talk about it. I don't know. I haven't spoken to her, but I'd be curious to see if that's the storyline. I don't really think when even you mentioned Kenya, like I wish that that story was told the way I think she would have wanted to tell it, which is, you know what? Fuck you guys. I've brought multiple boyfriends on this show. You tell me that I'm lying. You guys don't get to see this part of me. Mm. You don't deserve that. I care about my relationship and I'm not going to bring him on this platform for fans and for editors to make fun of him. You know, like uh, somebody said to me recently, Emily Simpson, she was talking about her husband, Shane, who this is from Orange County and they, you know, I love uh, her. I like her a lot too. And she talked about the fact that, you know, there was that scene where she did like a burlesque dance in Vegas and her husband wouldn't be there. And everyone's like, well, he's not supporting you. But the real story is like, she's like, I know exactly what would have happened. He would have yawned at the beginning of the, you know, the night and they would have used that footage while I was performing to make it look like he was bored with me. And that mentality, like, I don't want to... I wanted to protect that side of the relationship. So I understand that. I understand, you know, doing that. And I wish that sometimes these women could break the fourth wall and talk about it in that capacity. Well, Liz, can you please? I know, I'm like. Uh, we have to get into Housewives because like, I, I know it's. And then we, like, and then I, we have we some just, fun stuff, but I have to we ask We have some question. fun rapid. Yeah, do it, Liz. Like, okay, so last night, it's, okay, it's really late. I'm watching my new obsession, 60 Days. Yeah. Y'all watched it before? <laughs> no, yes. I haven't. People willingly go to fucking prison for 60 days. It's insane. Anyway, I highly recommend it. It's fucking crazy. Locked up 60 days or whatever the hell yeah, it's called. It's oh. Yeah, it's insane. So I'm sitting there just like minding my business, like doom scrolling, whatever. And all of a sudden, from a very reputable, speaking of journalism, <laughs> a very reputable site called realityblurb.com. And I DM'd this to, to Darren and I was like, oh my God. She goes, uh, and I was like, ask Dave Quinn tomorrow. I have no fucking idea. <laughs> so the Uh-oh. headline reads, is Kim Richards, the real housewife of Beverly Hills star who hooked up with Brandy Glanville? Plus, Brandy is accused of having an alleged, alleged little fling with ex-housewife Carlton. Ooh. Okay. What do you what know? What do you know? And also, <laughs> Kim? Question mark? Right. Exclamation mark? Like what? Like give us your opinion on this. Cause I was like, I have no idea, but it's possible she hooked up with all three. My instinct, first of all, is that reality blurb, no offense to that state. I'm not necessarily sure what their sources are. Um, it was Um, written by a very lovely young woman by the name of Lindsay Cronin. I'm sure she's wonderful. I'm not, I'm not trying no, to. I, no, 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 no. I know you're not. I'm just like, well, there was an, there's an actual person who, who wrote it. Apparently. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Which um, is good. But could be uh, a Russian bot. We don't know. <laughs> but I guess I would say, okay, so it doesn't seem plausible to me that Kim Richards and Brandy Glanville would sleep together simply because I feel like Kim Richards is actually kind of prudish when it comes to sex like that. 
from my interactions with her, she's not that sort of a gal. I actually remember hearing a story about her like sneaking a cigarette on uh, uh, on set of Beverly Hills one day and and yelled at the cameraman for trying to film her because she was like, I'm a Disney girl. I can't be seen smoking. And it's that concept of like, yeah, she was a star. Yep. So I think that like, I can't imagine her going down that path. I think she's a little prudish when it comes to that. Carlton, I believe they talked openly about the fact that they had had a little bit of a fling. Really? So that does, Carlton I remember. is an enigma. Also, I went in this weird black hole a week ago and found Carlton's daughter, who's like stunning. And she's best friend was with like the Hadid kid, like all these mm. famous people. Her kid is like in there, like all Gorgeous. of them are all DMing her, like Lily Collins, who like Emily and Paris, don't get me started on that. That could be an entire <laughs> series. It is not my it's favorite. It's actually called Emily and Paris. So oh. uh, that's how oh, you're so, so, so sorry, 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 sorry. Dave is giving it a little flavor. It clearly also, doesn't Also, have. shout out to no, my... that's literally what it's supposed to that's be called. That's, they came out with it, that it's supposed to rhyme. Okay, that's the worst. Emily also, shout out Paris. to my acupuncturist, who I've mentioned many times on this show, who created a an Instagram called Emily and Parasite, and it went viral on the internet. And it's Emily and Paris in the movie Parasite. They put them together. It's insane. <laughs> and I keep... I'm very angry. He has like 10,000 followers. Anyway... All right, so Carlton's daughter is beautiful. Carlton and Brandy, that's real. You're saying no to Kim. All right, that makes sense. That would be that would be Solved. my instinct. Solved. That would be his instinct. Allegedly. <laughs> okay, we have oh, this last segment. And before we wrap oh, yeah. up to this last segment, I just want, in your mind, when you look mm -hmm. at everything that you came from and your familial background, but also your struggle with maybe even identifying yourself as gay for many years of your life and at least not being able to verbalize that word, mm. to now be entrenched in really gay culture, you know, like Bravo is gay culture. Like, I yeah. think that's a general rule. If you are a gay person, you know of Bravo or you're obsessed of Bravo. Like it just, <laughs> that is like a formula. Do you ever look back and be like, holy hell, like, how did I get here? Like, I can't believe that I've had such a juxtaposition of my life. Yeah. There's a constant pinch me to all of it. For me, it's actually not even thinking about Bravo, I think about Broadway, which is another, you know, beat that I really worked hard on and made a name for myself in my career. Broadway was an incredible outlet for me as a kid going, you know, having the privilege of being in New York and being able to go see a show for nothing. In those days, it was cheap to go see a show. And especially I would do rushes all the time. And I, I always saw that art as like this incredible experience of all of these people coming together and having like the best example of teamwork I've ever seen before, because like right. the actors are acting and the lighters are, and, and the uh, musicians are playing and everyone is doing their role to create this incredible thing. And they are all doing it for the, for the good of the other person and the good of all of us in the audience. So I was just blown away by Broadway as a young kid. And the, the day that one of my quotes was hung up on a marquee with my name under it. Tell us, what was the quote? What was the show? Everything right now. <laughs> There's been a lot of them throughout the years, the, but I, the biggest Casual. one for me was like, <laughs> no, I don't mean to be that Slight way. work, as Wendy Osefa would say. Slight work. <laughs> but I can't even remember. I mean, it was just, what was the first one? I mean, the biggest one for me, it's so silly, but like I reviewed Aladdin on Broadway and I called, I said that it was exactly what you wished for. And that quote was like everywhere billboards buses like that is tops a of, huge uh, taxi cabs deal like a giant one in times square commercials which was hilarious to me because they would 
read it, somebody would be like, exactly what you wished for. And I was like, I said that much gayer. Like, I, <laughs> like just so you exactly. know, bro, that's supposed to be like, it is exactly what you wish for. Yeah. Girl. Uh, yes, 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 yes. yes. the right affect, sir. Right, exactly. Yeah, but, you know, yeah. That for me was like the moment that I was the pinch me for me. And I mean, all of these things, I, I'm still always a fan first. I'm still that little kid in his room desperate to find somebody to connect to and and watching television and absorbing pop culture so when i when i looked out at my phone and like ramona singer's calling me it's so stupid but i'm like this is insane i can't believe this is happening to me like i can't believe these people think that i'm worthy enough to speak to and that oh is my like God. i don't know it's really cool it's I, amazing Dave. never lost on me I told you, Liz. I told you he was going to be a good guest. I, I, was I just, said. You did. You did. I mean, I'm going to just go cry in the shower by myself after this. But also, I, you know, Dave, I think most people, when Ramona Singer calls them, also are like, <laughs> what did I do to deserve? I'm just kidding. No. I mean, Unless it's me and I'm like, oh, my God, what the fuck happened? Why is she calling? I know, right? You're like, and I'm in a lot of shit right now. Oh, my God. Yeah, pretty she, just much. Came to mind. she just came to mind. But there's others. There's others. Well, Dave, I mean, we, we want to end on a positive note because it's yeah. been, Liz has wiped away tears. I did. I've cried. I've peed my pants a few times. So, you know, thank you so much for sharing your story. We have a segment we're going to end with called, that I so aptly called Scissor Me This, okay? Yeah. And we like to play it with our guests. And it's just a fun little rapid fire round of just queer kind of nonsense, if you will. But yours is really housewives specific, just because Perfect. you're the guru and because we always have all these questions. So Liz, why don't you tee it up for us? Okay. Create your all-star American housewife cast. Ooh, five. Okay. You get five. 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 Okay. Uh, Caroline Manzo. Is my first. Okay. That was the most shocking first. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No one sees it coming every time, but I just think that she was like top tier housewife. I think that she is incredible with her. I need to match now somebody who is a little bit more of the heart of the franchise or a little bit more reasonable. I'm going to put Eileen Davidson in that spot. I know what these are crazy. Dead? I don't know. Like Dave, <laughs> like, like, I just can't. Eileen? I can't handle it, Dave. Okay. I can't handle it. Okay. Uh, you need you need a good mix. Then I need somebody who's like the drama queen who's gonna like help stir things up. Uh, I'm gonna choose Kenya Moore for that. I think that's great choice. Great yes, choice. Come on. Now I need somebody who's comedic. I need like a Sonia or a Portia. Who gives me or a Phaedra? Um, oh God, Phaedra makes me laugh. Right. Phaedra. You need like a mix of all these people who like really. I, Phaedra maybe I may put Phaedra in that just because I think it would be hilarious to watch her interact with Caroline Manzo. <laughs> everybody knows. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. And yeah. uh okay, and then that sets four, right? And then I need one more. So I just need the star. I mean, everybody I'm gonna put Tamara Judge in. I knew you were. I don't know. He's a Tamara so stand. He, yeah. Tamara's got arguably I the best she, body in all the housewives, but just like she's really like does. she is it. She really does. Yeah. Name one housewife you wish never left. I think that Heather Dubrow should still be on The Real Housewives mm, of Orange County. Yeah. I think that the moment that she left the show was a changing point in that franchise that they haven't been able to come back from. More so than Vicky and Tamara leaving. Uh, yeah, different. I mean, I just think that, like, you need that sort of balance. And she was somebody who, like, uh, brought a class level to it that the show didn't have. And it was fun to kind of watch her 
interact with everybody. And I, I thought that her relationship with Tamara was so night and day, like these two people in, in any world would normally not be friends, but they really got along. And I just think she's funny. She makes me laugh. She has a good sense of humor. Pop-up video or VH1 behind the music? Ooh, uh, VH1 behind the music. I love pop-up video, but it gets annoying after a while. And the good behind the music, like we're talking like TLC behind yep. the music with, you know, left eye mm -hmm. being like, here's how you can make a, a bunch of money and still go bankrupt and like doing math. Ugh, I mean, that was life-changing. Uh, I have another fuck, Mary kill that I just thought of, okay, go um, for it. which I just have to ask you. Juan Dixon, Oof. Mauricio, or Joe Gorga? Okay, all right. Here's, this is crazy. I, I know exactly what I'm going to do. Okay. <laughs> I think, He's like, I've thought about this every which way. <laughs> I'm ready for it. I am going to fuck Juan Dixon because- I was going to say, if you're not fucking Juan Dixon, you are so stupid. <laughs> that is a general objective answer. Thank yeah, you. He's Thank very you. sexy. Although it would be hard not to have sex with Joe Gorka because he's very cute. But um, I just- For me, like, I'm like, it's hard not to have sex also with Robin Dixon, but that's fine. Right. Yeah, that's true right. too. Oh, I know so you're hard. not there, but I'm there. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And then um, I'm going to marry Maurizio simply because I I'm a big stoner too. You know what I mean? Like it would be fun to get yeah. high with him. He's rich. And I think Joe he's Gorga- He's so rich. He's, he's so rich. So rich. <laughs> and I think Joe Gorga is like lovely and amazing and I really enjoy him. But I think I would get a little exhausted with it. Fair enough. Liz, you know do you mean? have another one before I get to my final two? Okay, I'm just going to ask one more. And this is on the fly okay. too. Um, we fun. just had Salt Lake City debut. Yeah. I am not kidding you. I have had my DMs. It's going to be the best. People. No, it's an unreal. Uh, again, I love the girl from Best of Bravo. Do you know that account? She is yeah. like yeah. the nicest girl ever. She wrote me last night when we were going, when I told her my... Don's story, which I'll tell you in private another day. It's not <laughs> salacious at all. He was actually like the nicest person ever. But she was like, Liz, have you watched the premiere? This is insane. All the DMs. Who do you think out of that cast is like one to watch could potentially be like the next Vicky, Tamara, Sonia, Ramona? And can you just pick one? I, yeah. I wonder if your answer is the same as mine. Go ahead. Well, Dave. I think that everybody, I, I'm going to be a little controversial here. I think that everybody is like all eyes on Jen Shaw. Because yes, Jen everyone is. Like, you know, she has Leanne Locken energy where she kind of just like dominates the drama. She's over the top. It's a little performative to me, perhaps. Like, I'm not really necessarily sure. I need to see more. We're only one episode in and there's what, 11, I think, this season. So there she has three I, assistants, though, Dave. Three assistants. three assistants okay yeah andy cohen has one she has three <laughs> just just putting it out there yeah but yeah i mean that's next level i but i'm coming down to heather gay i think that heather gay is the one to watch i think that me too she's really smart and she's really funny and i like her story and i like kind of what she represents and i don't know if you guys saw this but there was this amazing moment this is before it was after the show had been announced but before it had premiered a couple of months ago and somebody commented on her Instagram, like, you know, are you a transvestite or, or are you a trans? And she like read this person in the most beautiful way. And she was like, no, I'm not. But if I was like, it would be amazing sort of thing. And I was so impressed by that allyship. And I was so impressed by how naturally it came from her and, and that she did it in the guise of when no one was watching. You know what I mean? Like nobody knows right. who you are. She could not respond to that, but I was really impressed by how she handled that situation and it made me immediately stand her. 
I fucking love a clapback, especially because no one would expect people in like Salt Lake City and Mormonism to do that. And she's like caked in Mormonism. Okay, last question right. for you. Yeah. Who was the last housewife you texted with and what did you say? The last housewife I texted with was Dr. Wendy from Potomac. Respect the name. Respect, Respect the, the name. title here. Yep. Um, I texted a bunch of the Potomac housewives because the reunion was yesterday and I sent yes. them all messages saying to them, like, good luck with everything. Um, I'm here if you need someone to talk to you. You know, because I, I want them to know that they're not alone. And Dr. Wendy responded to me this morning. So uh, she was the first person that texted me. I woke up this morning and just, I had a text from her that was like, it went well, I'm exhausted. And, you know, I'm glad it's over, that sort of thing. That is only the response you could get from a first season reunion <laughs> housewife person, right? It's yeah. like, oh, it went well, like I survived. And it's like yeah. Sonia and Ramona are like already in a different realm by the time the uh, reunion is done. But I actually want to read it so this way. I get it right. I don't yeah, want to read it. quote Dr. Wendy because I'm afraid that she would be upset about that. But she said, good morning, sunshine. Thank you so much for the kind wishes. It was insane with a bunch of ease. And then the emoji where like you're sticking your tongue out and your eyes are like crazy. And she goes, but cheers to my first reunion in the books. And here's proof. Oh, I love that. First, first said, of many. First of many. many. But I will say she is a breakout star and I, I fucking love her and all her. I degrees. love her too. And I, I just, I don't know. There's something I don't, I've never, I've never seen someone like her on TV. I love. She's I, a great housewife. She's a great housewife. She's the Nigerian thing is like glamorous and fun. Her clapbacks are amazing. The fact that they're like making fun of her already and like imitating her right. is legendary. Like I'm like, she's a legend. Like, like you don't, nobody's sitting around imitating Jules Weinstein. Nobody, you know what I mean? Like nobody is imitating Carlton. Like no, so true. these one season so one-offs. When Wendy gets attacked by T'Challa in like the fifth episode, it was one of my favorite moments. Like Liz, if you have not seen this, I haven't. I'm going T'Challa to, I, I'm being this, honest. African parrot that Monique um, is literally like a pet. Like, like, oh, yeah. She, Andy had a well, picture with it, right? The other T'challa, day. T'Challa attacks Wendy when Wendy's like trying to get deep in a conversation. And Wendy's reaction, if you need to laugh at something, you need to watch. It's like five I really seconds. I don't like is, birds. They're bony and unpredictable. No, that, but and that's I hate why this She's like, oh. Like she, yeah, that's me. Terrified. It's amazing and it's Ugh, perfect. The um, By the way, so she good. has the best reactions. She makes great faces. There's one yes. scene that Chris Samuels makes a joke about uh, Monique sucking his dick, and she like faints on the couch. <laughs> like Wendy, like faints on the couch. Hilarious. And then Hilarious. my favorite is when they say we're going to Portugal, and she goes Portugal, and she's like screaming. <laughs> We've been doing it nonstop in the apartment. Because Gus is, this is the hilarious thing about my boyfriend. He's never watched a Housewives show. He's like not a Housewives fan, which is why I fell in love with him because there wasn't any of that like weirdness about it. And I remember one day we like had dinner with a bunch of the Housewives and we left and he was like, your friends are so nice. How do you know them? And I was like, oh, they're all huge television stars. Like, you're, you're like, you have that no was idea. Melissa Gorga. Yeah, I was Not like, right. those are, that's Margaret Josephs. They're real people. I love Margaret Josephs. Shout out to Margaret Josephs on here. I hope she's, she's, my she's the best. She's the best. But yes, no less. That like, is hilarious. So I've gotten him watching Potomac. It's the only one he's ever seen. And he's like obsessed with it. He thinks it's hilarious. Well, it's... It's a great one. It's, it's one of my favorites. It's, it's literally one of Liz, my, you gotta catch it's up. like top okay, two. I will, I will. I'm you sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Dave, I fucking love you, dude. Love you I'm too, so man. happy you're in my life. I'm lucky to get to know you. I'm happy you have a relationship with Liz now. She is going to be DMing Me you too. all Housewives questions oh, all the time. I already followed you before the episode started. I followed you immediately. <laughs> 
But Dave, you know, for everyone who wants to get to know you, watch your amazing, amazing quotes on billboards, where can people find you? And please promote anything that you're working on right now or whatever you'd like. Where can the where can the listeners get you? Sure. I am basically on Twitter and Instagram. That's kind of where I live. I live mostly on Twitter because that's a uh, that's like a news site in my mind. You know what I mean? That's where like breaking things yeah. happen. Sure. And both of my handles are the same in those. And that's nine Daves, N-I-N-E. D-A-V-E-S. And the story of that name, side note, is hilarious because um, there was this band called Nine Days that you may remember. They had a song called, This is the story of a girl cried yes. over and drowned the whole world. Yeah, remember that song, right? So like I knew them and I was like friends with them and they used to joke about the fact that I was like not a band member and somebody nicknamed me Nine Days. And it was like my first screen name. And it was the screen name that I started using when I was messaging on like message boards at Entertainment Weekly back in the day, right when they began. And they started having me on and calling me Nine Daves. So I just stuck with it. And it was like, so cool. now everyone's always like, well, what does it mean? Do you have nine different personalities or in nine different places at a time? And it's like, it's literally about a band, a one hit wonder band. Right. I but mean, whatever. It, amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, we can, I really actually <laughs> I shed tears on this. I cannot thank you enough for coming on. Darren thank has you. been raving about you. You did not disappoint. I really am going to DM you. So get excited yes. for that. It's going to happen. And for all of the listeners out there, please follow us at SIAT podcast on Twitter. Cause we're on Twitter yep. Um, yep. for our three followers and on Instagram, please rate, subscribe, like, the podcast Please. we want to hear your feedback um only nice feedback actually is welcome and uh we love you and thank you dave this was really Thanks, just dave. a I stellar interview Thanks, i like cannot thank you enough i'm so honored to be here bye dave thanks again babe okay. bye 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 thank you for listening to scissoring isn't a thing see you next tuesday